Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, how's it going? How was your weekend? What'd you get up to? Oh my gosh, 23 episodes. It's so exciting. Um, yeah. Magic number 23. It's a magic number. They did a whole movie about the number 23. Yeah, um, there you go. My weekend was great. Um, we are full into summer now because uh, May has begun. In fact, mm-hmm. it's a very, very important day. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow will be Star Wars Day. And uh, that's just it's just a very exciting time. School's about to be out. All the kids are restless. Yeah. Spring has sprung. We got tr- leaves on trees. The Oscars are over. So I can breathe a fresh sigh of relief and actually watch some stuff that I really want to watch <laughs> versus stuff that I'm told I should watch. Um, yeah. That's always kind of nice. Yeah, for sure. Summer has definitely caught up with us here. I uh, got myself a little bit of a sunburn over the weekend, but uh, you know, it's not all bad. It's, it's exciting to get outside and uh, see the, uh, everything blooming a little bit, you know, emerge from the, from the Oscar cave of watching, you know, all, all of those films over the, all 56 the course, films. course of a month. Yeah. Like you said, get back to watching some good stuff. So did, did you get a chance to watch anything new yeah, over the I weekend started, or were you revisiting some old favorites or? Yeah, I started, I started some, um, documentaries. So I saw the new Tina documentary that is on oh, okay. uh, HBO um, mm-hmm. If you're a Tina Turner fan, or or even if you're not, I think it's really well done. Um, I am a big fan. I remember seeing her in San Antonio in 1993. I waited for 12 yeah. hours to see her um, with my dad. Dad, if you're listening, that was awesome. Good dad moment. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. We literally waited in the sun for 12 hours uh, in one of those open area you know, venues so that we could okay. get uh, a good spot. Anyway, it's really well done. Um, and it has a different take on her whole life. And that's mm-hmm. kind of neat. I also watched, uh, started the nevers, which is a new series out by HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's actually pretty good. It's kind of interesting. Um, it's all, there's only like three episodes out because they're being snarky and only giving you one episode a week, um, a week yeah. versus like Netflix that gives us all it at once. So we can binge it over a day. HBO, yeah. change your game, change your game, guys. Um, but that was good the, too. They got to keep the subscriptions going. <laughs> right, gotta, right. Gotta I do, guess. Got to do the, the once a week. Yeah, no, the, the Tina documentary was very good, as you'd mentioned. Um, and yeah, we watched the first couple episodes of The Nevers. I think maybe episode four came out last night. So I haven't, haven't got uh, quite caught up on that yet. So watch that. We watched through, um, we just finished last night, The Serpent, which is on, uh, Netflix, which is kind of like a crime uh, story it's set in the 70s. It's, you know, based on a true story. So um, it wasn't 
amazing, but it was pretty good. Um, I'd recommend watching it if you like kind of, you know, these uh, crime tales and things. There's a lot of uh, intrigue and, you know, a lot of uh, guessing what's, you know, going on and what's going to happen. So uh, pretty good. I definitely recommend uh, checking that one out if you, like I said, if you're into that kind of stuff. But yeah, very important day today or well this week yeah may the 4th so may the 4th be with you Michaela uh and you know what I think that we need to uh get ourselves something to drink and talk about may the 4th I think you are correct uh may the 4th be with you always Brian um thank you and the you know it's hot though and so I kind of want something that's going to be cool refreshing on a hot Tatooine day that's right. Yeah, those uh, twin sons are a killer this time of year. So well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll make up something and we'll be right back to talk about this week's drink. All right. So this week we are heading to visit our Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru at their uh, homestead, the Lars family homestead on Tatooine. And we're going to have some blue milk. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> That's right. It is going to be Who amazing. Who doesn't want blue milk? Yeah, everyone wants blue milk. So um, and we've actually been to we've been lucky enough uh, you and I both we went together our families went to Disney World and went to Galaxy's Edge at Disney Hollywood Studios and uh, you know, got to try some blue milk there so I think we need to uh, try our hand at making some yes yes and it's worth noting that uh, blue milk even in Disney World uh, it can come with or without alcohol so if you have some little kids little Skywalkers that would like th- to try some blue milk it is entirely possible to do it Um, And Mm -hmm. I recommend it for kids. It's really, uh, it's a slushy kind of based drink at Disney World as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, it's, it's exciting because the recipe we're using is not from Disney World. It's actually from the podcast Sky Talkers. Mm -hmm. And we're going to post a link uh, to their website in the show notes with along with the recipe and the pictures and all sorts of fun stuff. So um, go check out Sky Talkers. It's a really cool podcast, right? It's one of your favorites. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Star Wars podcasts. So yeah, give them a listen and uh, we'll post a link to their website where they have the uh, recipe listed out and kind of their pictures of it. So yeah, so that's what we took our inspiration from. But yeah, I thought this was pretty good. Michaela, why don't you run through the recipe for everyone here? It's just, it's a lot of ingredients you have to get together, but it, it makes quite a bit of this. So it sure does. And uh, one thing about this is that I think it's actually vegan <laughs> because it uses mm-hmm. oat milk. Um, So there's two cups of oat milk, two cups of ice, two tablespoons of lime juice, two tablespoons of cream to coconut. So that is not coconut milk. It's cream to coconut. It's very Mm -hmm. thick. Um, Just so you know, I have screwed that up in my life. So don't screw that up. Um, If you're going to add some alcohol to it, you want four ounces of rum. We chose a white rum and we did uh, basic like Bacardi Mm -hmm. silver. Um, two cups of uh, frozen pineapple and mango. So it's kind of one cup of frozen pineapple, one cup of frozen mango, and then some bright blue food coloring. This recipe calls for eight to 10 drops, but because of the yellow that's in the pineapple and the orange that's in the mango, we needed to add a lot more than that. So mm-hmm. um, if you can find some very albino pineapple and mango, then perhaps eight to 10 drops will do it. Um, yeah. We used a it, lot more. It probably depends on what exact brand and type of food coloring you're using too. So some might be more potent than others. So yeah, you'll just have to kind of play around with that. But yeah, we ended up using probably at least double that to get close to blue. But yeah, you just uh, basically throw all that stuff into a blender and blend it up and you get kind of this uh, smoothie out of it. Now, 
we used a Vitamix blender, which is pretty powerful and it still had a little bit of trouble getting through it. So if you have, um, if your blender is not quite up to snuff there, you might want to maybe like have this and do like two batches of it versus trying to do all of it at once. But yeah, blend it up, pour it out into some glasses. We drank ours with some straws. And uh, what, what did you think about it, Michaela? How did it compare to the uh, blue milk that we got on uh, Batu? So I actually like this a lot better than the one that we had at Disney World. I'm not okay. sure what the one, so the one at Disney World, full disclosure, I don't know what the recipe is. I don't know what alcohol they used. I tried it with and without alcohol because I have a kid and it was better with alcohol, but it's in a frozen slushy machine to keep mm-hmm. it consistent, you know, to keep the consistency. And so it was a lot more milkish. And because it was really hot there, it melted really fast. I really liked this recipe though. And I will say we um, did an experiment where we used regular oat milk and then vanilla oat milk. And I Mm -hmm. think it tastes a lot better with the vanilla. It adds a little bit of sweetness that's really pleasant. And the white rum just kind of sets it off. It's, it's, it's nice. I loved this though. I thought this was great. It's really fun for kids. My son came in and out all day asking for blue milk. Um, it's just, it's just fun. And it tastes pretty good. It's great for the beach. It's great for the pool. Um, it's great for Tatooine. I was going to say, it's great to watch uh, Star Wars with for sure. So yeah, so definitely a, you know, good recipe and definitely one to try out. Like I said, if you're having a Star Wars theme party, or it'd be really good if you're having like a birthday party for your kids. Cause uh, like Michaela mentioned, you can skip the rum you know, and mix it up. And then, you know, <laughs> any parents want to uh, spike their own, you know, you can, you can let them do that. But yeah, blue milk, it's, uh, it's super fun. So yeah, yeah. Give this one a try. If you, uh, if you, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, I really think you should give it a try. It's worth your time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We got our blue milks. We are ready to battle the tattooing sons. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about this week's movie, Star Wars, episode four, A New Hope. Spoiler warning for Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. If you have not seen this, you really should stop what you're doing right now and go watch this because you're like 1% of 1% of the planet. But then when you're done watching it, you should come back, have yourself a blue milk, and we can chat about how amazing this movie is. Yeah, if you've not seen it yet, you've had plenty of opportunities. So this came out in uh, on May the 25th of 1977. It was directed by George Lucas, and it stars Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford, um, and a lot of other uh, droids and aliens and uh, all sorts of good stuff. So uh, this movie uh, did really well, obviously, at the box office and at the uh, award ceremony. So it won six Academy Awards. So it won for Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects, Best Original Score. And they also had to make up uh, an award for a special achievement in sound effects uh, for Mr. Ben Burt. So, uh, yeah, so it won six, and then it was nominated for a couple of others that it didn't win. So Alec Guinness was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Um, he did not win. And then George Lucas was nominated for Best Director and Best Screenplay. And it was also nominated for Best Picture. So, But it didn't, it didn't win any of those. So it won six of the ten that it was nominated for, uh, which is which is pretty great. And I, those technical categories, I definitely warranted. Uh, what do you think, Michaela? You know, I, I remember us talking about this um, uh, earlier, but it lost best picture to which show? 
to Annie Hall. Yeah. And I think if you look back, this is going to be one of those things where you're, you're, you're kind of shocked because Annie Hall was great, but we certainly don't have like a 40 year uh, universe homage to Annie Hall. Right. Um, and we do for Star Wars. So this was the very first, for those of you that don't know, episode four, A New Hope was the very first one. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of like the two people on the planet that haven't seen this, um, it, it kicked off an entire universe. So there's so much now that you can see. There's, you know, there's series, a couple of different series. There's, you know, nine or 10 films. There's um, spinoffs after spinoffs. You, you know, we have so much now um, mm-hmm. that kind of surrounds us in pop culture that really started with this film. So I, I think looking back, it's one of those things where the Academy got it wrong. Maybe they got it right for the time, yeah. um, but hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So it really is interesting because even if you're not a fan of this film, because there are people that, you know, are crazy and don't like this, I don't understand. But if you're not a fan of this film, there's so much to it you have to develop an appreciation for all the things that it is and and that it would inspire and become. So, yeah, it definitely kind of transcends what, what movies are and can be. And that's going to kind of be our, our theme for the month. We're talking about, you know, blockbusters and how uh, they kind of, you know, revolutionized cinema and uh, star Wars is kind of the, uh, the most iconic example of that. Like you said, you know, turned out books and, you know, nine films uh, two other films uh animated series uh we have the mandalorian uh so star wars basically got you know disney plus started as its own theme park uh, at you know disney world and disneyland so yeah it's it's just it's hard to hard to quantify exactly what it did but i guess you could kind of quantify it because george lucas ended up selling uh the rights of star wars to disney for i don't know something like 3.2 billion dollars so it's a lot it's a lot and it's interesting because you can see in movies after that were made after this. So one of uh, the films that I watched as a kid, don't judge my parents, was Poltergeist. Okay, mm-hmm. and there's a scene where you, you know one of the kids is being scared, and in his bedroom there's a Star Wars poster. He's got Star Wars sheets. He's got like a mm-hmm. Chewbacca doll, and that was just like you know the coolest room ever. And that was in like 1986, right? So it was you know, right after all the, the first trilogy kind of came out. Um, yeah, th- this was the very first film that really franchised on the, the characters and really helped become uh, so much more iconic than other films that were fantasy adventure films. Cause there were many that were out there, um, mm-hmm. but th- this just really transcended anything. Now I didn't see this in the theater cause I had not been born yet. Yeah, but I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Just a bit. Um, we missed it, but I do remember one of my best friends talking about how he went to see it in the theater and then he, he spent all his money and begged his parents to see it like 10 times in a row. Cause he just thought it was so great. And I don't think that had really happened very much in the past where, you know, kids just fell in love, truly fell in love with the story. Um, so enough, I, I guess we should stop fawning over it and talk about uh, and, and open it up. But uh, but it's a real good film. If you've not seen it, it, it really is worth your time. Even if even if it's it ends up being a storyline that doesn't resonate with you. There's so mm-hmm. much about it that that is worth, um, you know, appreciating. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So let's uh, get into it. And uh, Star Wars has, you know, 
pretty iconic opening. So you get the the words across the uh, screen a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then uh, Star Wars comes on the screen. You get the London Symphony Orchestra uh, playing the uh, the main title fanfare, uh, which if you hum, everyone will know. And then you get the opening crawl. So uh, that was really unique to films. It was, harkens back to kind of the serials, Buck Rogers and things like that, but kind of sets the tone for the story. Now, we mentioned the main title fanfare and John Williams won an Oscar, as we mentioned, for the uh, score for this film. He was actually nominated for uh, twice in that category because he was also nominated for Close Encounters of the Third Kind uh, that year as well. And John Williams ultimately been nominated, I think, like 52 uh, Academy Awards. So uh, he knows what he's doing. So gets 52 the, uh, times. Gets the, <laughs> gets the stage set there. And then um, it opens and uh, just a crazy opening scene that people had never seen before and really kind of changed the way that people thought about effects. So you get uh, space and you have a very large ship fly right over top of the camera and then a much, much larger ship <laughs> flying, flying behind it. I think if you measure it out, the ship's supposed to measure something like three miles long, uh, like in uh, practicality but yeah you just see this uh, star destroyer flying overhead and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and it's catching up with the smaller ship and it catches it and it's uh, going to be boarded so we meet our uh, our first characters of the film here we have c3po and r2d2 uh, the androids there and uh, unfortunately the smaller ship is going to be uh, boarded by some stormtroopers and darth vader so yeah C-3PO and R2 add a lot of uh, comedic flair to the whole story, right? So C-3PO is this very practical. He's got a very like English accent and he's like, ah, oh, we're going to be boarded and the princess can't get out of this one. And R2-D2 is the, the little one that beeps and, and bleeps and bips and mm -hmm. um, is very cute. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so the, the, the stormtroopers, which are all in white, they come in and they shoot a bunch of people and um, behind them comes this really tall, dark, evil looking character with a weird mask. And that is Darth Vader. Um, mm -hmm. This uh, cool thing about Darth Vader, right, is he was acted by a different person than his voice was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was he was acted by uh, David Prowse, who is a, a bodybuilder. Um, he's passed away now, but he was voiced by James Earl Jones. Um, and kind of like this modulated uh, voice because he's wearing this uh, breathing mask. So, uh, yeah, very, very uh, iconic there. But uh, basically, they're on this ship. They've captured this ship because the Rebel Alliance has stolen the plans to their new super weapon, the Death Star. Um, but Princess Leia knows that that's what's about to happen. So uh, we see her uh, kind of, you know, giving R2-D2 the uh, plans for the Death Star. And they need to... They need to get get out of there. So Princess Leia ends up getting captured, but C-3PO and R2-D2 make it off the ship in some escape pods and uh, you know make their way down to uh, the surface of Tatooine. And they get set off on, on their adventure to get the uh, Death Star plans back to the hands of the Rebel Alliance. Right. And there's this really you know beginning scene because Princess Leia, she is very brave. Um, uh, this was one of the first times, uh, believe it or not, when a woman was really given the opportunity to be part of uh, an, a, a rebel. She's kind of she's a very power woman, you know, powerful woman, um, mm -hmm. and that was really 
different for the time. Um, she wasn't like, oh, someone saved me. She was, she was very much, she stands right up to uh, Darth Vader, who's like 18 feet tall. And Carrie Fisher, she's like five, she was five feet tall. Okay. So there's like a two and a half foot difference between the two of them. And mm-hmm. she, um, you know, she doesn't, she's not afraid of him at all, you know, and um, he has this really deep bellowing voice with James Earl Jones. Um, but you really can see immediately kind of their profiles and her bravery. Um, meanwhile, as they as C-3PO and R2-D2 land, uh, R2-D2's got, you know, a mission and C-3PO doesn't really understand what that mission is. Um, so mm-hmm. R2 is saying, hey, I got to go east. I got to go this way. I got to go find people. It's part of a mission. And C-3PO is like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to go this way. And um, you're going to be sorry that we've been separated because someone's going to, you're going to need help and I'm not going to be there to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they end up, they uh, go their separate ways, right? R2 knows where he's supposed to go, but C-3PO doesn't know where he's supposed to go. Um, so he's going to, he wants to go the easy way. So yeah, go their separate ways, but they end up reunited because they get captured by uh, some creatures there, local to Tatooine, the Jawas, and they end up on their uh, big, awesome sand crawler there with a bunch of other droids. Now the Jawas are basically junk dealers. So they just, you know, steal these droids and droid parts and, and go off and sell them to these farmers. So uh, they make their way to the Lars family uh, homestead. So you have, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, and then the hero of our story, uh, Luke. Luke Skywalker is there with his uncle, and they need to go out and get some uh, get some droids, make sure that, uh, you know, the uh, translator droid speaks bocce, and that's what they're going to do. So they go out to buy these droids. So, And they are farmers, but they live on Tatooine, which is basically a giant desert planet. Mm-hmm. So what yep. are they farming, Brian? So they are farming moisture because that is that is very important as you would need in the in the desert yeah. i guess to uh you know to water your uh your livestock and to water any plants and to you know be able get to, to get by your get by yourself so you can't just you live can't on live blue, on milk. blue milk <laughs> yeah so you have to get have to get some uh, moisture farmed as well so so yeah so they go out to buy some droids they're going to buy c3po and they're going to buy this other little astromech droid um He's a red one. Um, his name is R5-D4, if anyone is interested in knowing that. Um, but R5-D4, he has a bad motivator, and it blows up. And, you know, C-3PO kind of nudges him and says, you know, what about the what about that uh, little blue one over there? So, so they end up, you know, purchasing C-3PO and R2-D2. And that's how the droids get uh, hooked up with Luke Skywalker on this crazy adventure. Right. And so they go home and they uh, they sit down to uh, to dinner, um, where we get our first real look at blue milk. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But before that, Luke's got to go and he's kind of cleaning up the droids. So he's talking to C three PO and C three PO is, you know, he's got he's got a lot of things. He's a translator. He's a protocol droid, so he understands how things work. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you wouldn't believe I've uh, we you know. We've seen the war and Luke is very interested in that because he's like, oh, you're, you're part of the, you know, you know about the Rebel Alliance and there's this, you know, wish that he has. He's like, man, I want to get off this, I- this island. I want to get off this planet so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's starting to kind of clean up R2-D2 and he sees this clip, um, uh, this kind of holographic film shows up uh, as a projected kind of image and it's 
Princess Leia. And it's just a piece of it. It just says, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of taken aback because she's really pretty. And she's obviously, uh, she looks very desperate. She sounds very desperate. And he's like, well, that's weird. And who, who's, who's Obi-Wan Kenobi? Um, so he goes, he goes to dinner and he's talking to his aunt and his uncle and he mentions it and his uncle kind of becomes very gruff and they, the, the aunt and uncle kind of share this knowing look um, mm-hmm. because, you know, Lucas says, I wonder, we don't know anybody, but we, there's this guy, this old dude, old Ben Kenobi, maybe they're related and his uncle's like, ah, just forget it. Go wipe his memory. He's ours now. We, we just bought him. It's probably mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, uh, you know, they're having their blue milk and Luke mentions again that he would really like to leave the family home and the homestead early um, mm-hmm. and go and join up uh, at the academy. Yep. And Luke's uncle's like, no, that wasn't what we agreed. You know, please stay on another season. I really need you. And um, Luke gets really frustrated because he just wants to get out and he yeah he's not a farmer you know this is not this isn't the life that he is dreaming of and wants to do yeah and that's you get you get pretty much that uh that sentiment from uh his aunt Beru, right she because because uncle owen and aunt Beru know obi-wan kenobi they know who you know <laughs> luke's father was and they know you know what he's probably in for if he you know goes down this, you know, same path of things. So they're really trying to protect him, but Bruce saying, yeah. you know, he's, he's not a kid anymore. You're not going to be able to protect him. He's going to, he's going to leave, you know, someday, whether, whether we want him to or not, but yeah. So finish up that he goes, you know, outside, you get the uh, twin sons there on Tatooine, the sunset, uh, really beautiful, really iconic scene is kind of how they, you know, end up wrapping the whole Skywalker saga so many years later, but uh, he goes out to check on the droids to, you know, get their memories wiped. And uh, but R two has ran away. He was on his mission to meet up with Obi Wan Kenobi. So you know, Luke wasn't going to stop him. C three PO is not going to stop him. He's very uh, determined. But you know, it's it's late at night, so you know they have to uh, shut down the power for the night. It's too dangerous to go out. But you know, first first light the next day, they're going to go out. So they get into Luke's land speeder. Uh, him and C three PO, they're off to find r2d2 so yeah and the land speeder is especially cool um because it's like a hover hovering thing mm-hmm. and it really looks like it's flying and yeah. it's worth noting for anybody that may not know this 1977 there was no cgi like that right, did yeah. not exist okay so it it's really cool because you can see a person in something that is flying um mm-hmm. and they use the i mean there's a whole series of films that you can watch about how they made this film um but nobody had ever done anything like that so one of my favorite scenes as a kid is them you know with luke on the land speeder kind of going through this desert uh kind of their cracks and kind of canyons that you're going through um mm-hmm. I don't know where that's that particular scene was filmed, but it's really cool looking because you have both kind of terrains, right? And mm-hmm. they're wa- they're driving through trying to find um, R two D two, and um, they can't find him, but they are they do find some sand people, which look really scary. I mean, they look like something out of Mad Max, which happens you know three years later after this film was made. So maybe mm-hmm. that was a, a inspiration, but they're that you don't see their faces at all they've got these weird masks with these weird uh 
kind of bifocal glasses, binocular mm-hmm. things, and they make these yeah. weird grunty sounds. And um, they actually capture Luke and knock him unconscious. And they end up taking his body back, kind of laying him down beside the speeder. And they're going through the speeder, trying to like, you know, sell, you know, rip it, rip the parts off and see if they can um, salvage anything because they're junkers. That's what they do. And then you hear this really weird noise, right? Yeah, you hear it's so yeah, you hear this noise off in the distance. So it is uh it is old Ben Kenobi, uh also known as Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's making this sound. Apparently it's the sound of a crate dragon. So I actually see one of their big skeletons early in the film when C3PO is walking through the desert there. But uh the sand people, the Tuscan Raiders, are afraid of crate dragons. So he's able to kind of mimic this call and sends them scattering. So he's in to save Luke and C3PO and you know, the same people had had R2-D2 there as well. So, you know, everyone's kind of back together. Um, you know, Luke wakes up, you know, and asks him if he's Ben Kenobi and uh, Obi-Wan says, so that's a, that's a name I've not heard in a long time. And so he kind of takes him back to his little hut to you know, get him rested up and to figure out what this message from R2-D2 is. So uh, he gets it turned on. And as it turns out, you know, Leia is asking for his help, you know, saying that R2 has the plans for this Death Star and that, you know, Obi-Wan had served uh, with his father um, in the Clone Wars. And, you know, she needs his help. He needs to get to Alderaan, which is where Princess Leia is from, and, you know, deliver the R2-D2 and the plans to the Death Star uh, back to the Rebel Alliance. Right. And so, of course, Obi-Wan is, looks at Luke and says, you should come with me. Um because Obi-Wan is, a, you know, he, he says, I knew your father, um, which Luke is very curious about because no one has really told him the whole truth about who his father is. And as you're watching this, if you're watching it for the very first time, you, you're, you're like, hmm. So he says, my father was a, you know, he died in this very kind of mundane way. It was a, you know, and, and Obi-Wan says, no, he was a Jedi. Your father was a Jedi like me. And he was one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. And so then Luke kind of laments his man. I wish I knew him. What happened? And he says, well, your father was killed by one of my former pupils. And he, his name is Darth Vader. And he, he, he murdered your father uh, and betrayed him. And uh, so it really sets out this, we kind of understand now who this Darth Vader character is that we met earlier. Mm -hmm. And so he, you know, Obi-Wan really feels that Luke should go with him. And of course, Luke is now uh, faced with this adventure and he doesn't want to go. He says, I have to stay back. I have to help my uncle. I'm already going to be in trouble. I should actually leave right now because I'm Mm going to get in trouble. And he says, you know, Luke, Luke is is like I I, I want to help, but I, I can't get involved, and so you can feel he's really torn. Um, but Obi Wan says you need to you know listen to yourself, and they have this really cool conversation about the Force um, and what the Force is, and it's uh, you know he needs to listen to the Force, and the Force is going to lead him all along his path. Um, it's yeah, a really and- cool scene, actually. It's probably the most dialogue that we see between Alec Guinness and Luke Skywalker, right? And mm-hmm. that's probably why Alec was Alec Guinness. He's got a really quiet way about him. And as you learn more and more about who Obi-Wan is, it's it's really, uh, he does it really well, which is probably why he was nominated for Best yeah. Actor. Yeah, for the Best Supporting Actor there. And uh, one of the, one of the, 
more important parts then of this kind of interaction is Obi-Wan gives Luke, you know, his father's lightsaber. So uh, to yeah. to kind of set him off on on his quest there, you know, to to really kind of cement the fact, yeah, that his his father was a, a Jedi Knight who fell you know, to the dark side. So, uh, yeah, so they're kind of on their way, but yeah, Luke's hesitant to go, needs to get back to uh, you know Uncle Owen, Tamperu, and check in on them. But we need to check in on on the bad guys. So we're up on the Death Star, uh, and they're having kind of a, a meeting of the minds. We meet Grand Moff Tarkin. He's kind of in charge of the. Uh, empire i guess and uh you know the death star is is his to command and uh he's kind of the leader here but they're having this meeting and uh you know he's he's not happy that the death star plans have been stolen but you know some of the other uh people around the table are like well it's it's not that big of a deal if the rebels got the death star plans because death star is indestructible you know so so no big deal who cares if they got the got the plans but darth vader is there and he's like well you know you your Death Star is pretty powerful, but it's not as powerful as the Force. Um, and then we get to uh, see Darth Vader uh, use the Force on this guy, kind of kind of choke him out. And uh, but Moff Tarkin kind of steps in, you know, doesn't let him uh, finish this guy off. But you really get to see how kind of you know powerful and stoic Darth Vader is, uh, right. kind of right away here. So. Yeah, and it's interesting because watching this again. Um, specifically for this podcast we see he he really inserts this guy that ends up getting almost completely choked to death by mm-hmm. <laughs> by the force he really calls out darth vader's like um almost like cultish belief in the force right so it's he's mm-hmm. like your crazy religion you know it, it's it's fine like we're the death stars could could destroy a planet like an entire planet it, it will do that we only need to do it a couple times and um but it's really interesting because I guess there are believers and non-believers in this thing called the force, which is mm-hmm. interesting because you, what you see is whether or not you believe it, it is real. Yep. <laughs> kind of yeah. like science. Um, exactly. And he, he felt how real it was when he was, when he was getting choked out there. When but, he was about to die. But yeah, so there's a really good job pretending to be choked, right? Yeah. Cause he's, he's like, like his eyes start to bulge. I mean, I, again, really well, that's, cool special well, effects. Yeah, I mean that's those that's those uh, sound effects that they won the you know special achievement award award in. I mean you could you can just kind of feel his throat closing in and the and the sound. So, uh, but yeah, so they're you know trying to figure out if they need to go get these plans back or not. Um, but yeah, Luke gets back home to Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru's house, but it's too late. The stormtroopers have already been there trying to locate C three PO and R two D two because they're pretty sure that that's where the plans are and uh uncle owen and Aunt Beru are are no longer they uh they met their fate at the hand of the stormtroopers so uh you know now luke doesn't really have any ties left to tattooing so he's saying okay well he's ready to go he's ready to step up and you know take on the empire and get these get these plans back so they're gonna head off to Mos Eisley, which is kind of the nearest spaceport i guess to uh where uh, Luke's farm was there. So, mm-hmm. And a really great scene. Um, it's worth noting that this film came out in 1977, but in 1997, I think they did like this digital enhancement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends. There's, it's kind of controversial. You could be a purist or not. Um, but there's a couple of scenes that have been inserted into the 1977 version. And one of them is looking at Moses Lee as you, you know, 
see the speeder kind of come in with Obi-Wan and the two droids and Luke and mm-hmm. some different animals, different kind of alien beings. And it's kind of interesting the way that they do that. Um, that was using CGI. And what I find interesting, even when I watch the, the later versions with the inserted footage is that it is good, but it really holds a candle to how amazing this was without CGI because mm-hmm. the things that they did that they didn't, change or enhance look in my opinion almost even better um because they had to use something other than this cgi stuff so really interesting um but there's a great scene where you know stormtroopers are in the town center and they're kind of looking for droids obi-wan kenobi is there and they'd say well how long have you had these two droids and luke's trying to lie and it's 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 not going well and then uh Obi-Wan kind of waves his hand and says, these aren't the droids you're looking for. You yep. do not need to see our paperwork. And he kind of hypnotizes them, right? It looks like he's, that's what he's doing. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of see Obi-Wan using the force there to, to persuade these guys to let him go. Um, and I think that's one of the neat things about Star Wars is that none of this stuff is really kind of explained. You just get to get to see it and uh, kind of learn what, what's going on on your own. He's, you know, Obi-Wan doesn't say I'm go- about to use the force on these guys to, to kind of set it up. He, j- he just kind of does it right. So we're kind of learning along with Luke as, as we go through the story and kind of get these little glimpses into that. But yeah. So they get into most Eisley and they need to find, uh, you know, some transport to get to Alderaan. Uh, so where do you go? You go to the local cantina cause that's where all the pilots are hanging out. So uh, they get in there, uh, the bartender though doesn't want uh, R2D2 and C3PO in there. You know, no droids allowed, so they have to they have to wait outside. So uh, they're there. You know, Luke goes up to try to buy a drink. Uh, that doesn't go particularly well. Uh, he gets uh, accosted by some uh, some thugs there at the at yeah, the bar. Like a pig like a pig faced alien is like, I don't like you, and I yeah. you should be afraid of me. And poor Luke, he's like, okay, I'm sorry, it's I don't mean anything, and. Yeah, Obi Wan exactly. has to get involved, right? Yeah, they pull out they uh, pull out their blasters. They're not happy with Luke being there, I guess, for for whatever reason. But you know, Obi Wan steps in. Luckily, he's got his lightsaber, and we see just how powerful a lightsaber is because it cuts right through the guy's arm. You see it on the on the floor there, and the the bar kind of comes to a stop for you know, just a second, and then goes back on, you know, business as usual. So. It also totally solidifies Obi Wan is like certifiable, but man, he 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 just. He's very quick and he doesn't even, you know, he tries to reason with him and it's like, it's not worth it. But if you're going to try and, you know, get on, get on Luke, you're going to have to deal with, 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 with Mr. Lightsaber man. I mean, just, I remember seeing it and being like in awe, right. The first Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And the cantina scene's great. I mean, you have so many different aliens and different costumes. You have the, the cantina band playing, you know, kind of that iconic song and just, just this, you know, absolute craziness that doesn't make any sense, but it just comes together and this cantina and it's fantastic. But uh, we meet our pilots. So we meet Han Solo and Chewbacca. They're the uh, captain and co-pilot of the Millennium Falcon. You know, Luke's never heard of the Millennium Falcon, which rubs on the wrong way. And, uh, you know, uh, but they, you know, agree. They come to uh, financial terms for, you know, safe passage to Alderaan with no Imperial entanglements. So, so yeah, so they're about to get their sh- ship, but on the way out, uh, Han's going to run into a bounty hunter who's uh, working for the crime boss, uh, Jabba the Hutt, needs to uh, take him in. So they're going to have a little bit of a confrontation there. Um, now you uh, 
may think that Han shot first, or you might think that Greedo shot first. But uh, regardless of what side of that coin you lie on, Greedo is the one who uh, comes out on the worst end of this uh, uh, confrontation that they have here at the bar. And, you know, Han Solo is played by Harrison Ford very smoothly, just kind of walks out of the bar and flips the bartender a couple of credits, says, sorry for the mess. And they're on their way to uh, get the Millennium Falcon ready. Yeah. Uh, and it, I, it's such an interesting scene because in this, in the Greedo who shot first, um, there's a lot of controversy around that, which I never understood. Uh, probably cause I, I didn't see enough of the original version because I guess they changed it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they kind of, yeah. So it, it kind of flip flopped um, from the, you know, kind of original versions where Han had shot first and then in the uh, new special editions where Greedo kind of shot first. And it's they've almost kind of dwindled it down to where they're both about shooting at the same time now. So right, right. Uh, to, to kind of split the difference. So, right. um, yeah. So that, that was kind of a sticking point because we wanted because we wanted Han because Han Han Solo kind of paints himself out to be like this merciless mercenary, right? Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't care about anybody but himself and Chewie and his Millennium Falcon. And he's going to do whatever he needs to do. And if he has to kill you, he's going to do it. Um, It's kind of how you're supposed to, I think, feel about him at this Mm -hmm. point, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to, yeah, think that he's not an empathetic character. He's, you know, just out for himself, like you said. So, right. But, but yeah, so they get onto the Millennium Falcon, which is a great ship. And you can go and see it at Galaxy's Edge and uh, Disney World and Disneyland if you would uh, like to, because it's amazing. And then you can, can pilot it. But yeah, so the ship is absolutely fantastic. They get on and they're, you know, making their way to Alderaan. Uh, Obi Wan's giving Luke a little bit more Jedi training. You know, Han's a skeptic of the, of the force, you know, a hokey religions, no match for a blaster at your side. That's right. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Luke's doing some lightsaber training. You know, they're playing uh, some hollow chess on board, you know, C-3PO and uh, Chewbacca. And you get kind of this nice uh, quiet bit with, you know, kind of this crew together and kind of, you know, feeling each other out a little bit and figuring where they land on uh, some certain things and just getting to explore kind of these characters a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's ones that while they're kind of going through, um, they run into some trouble and they have to go light speed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was something that I thought was just awesome because now <laughs> it's, it's sort of like par for the course. When you see light, when you think light speed, you think of these stars that end up um, making like lines, right. Yeah, they kind of, As, because yeah, they you're kind going of... so fast. Yeah, they kind of make these streaks, yeah. And this, again, was the first movie that ever did anything like that. I mean, ever did mm-hmm. anything like that. Even in 2001 Space Odyssey, um, I mean, I don't think they go light speed in that film, but they never, even with all of that amazing space special effects, they didn't do anything like that before. And it was really, really cool to see. And they also insert a little bit of reality because they're like, oh, we have to we have to coordinate like there's a computer that has to do a bunch of math to figure Mm -hmm. out how to, you know, the right way to go, because we don't want to run into a planet or to another star because we're going so fast. And I thought that was really kind of interesting as they're, you know, trying to make their way uh, to Alderaan to get these plans. And uh, in the meantime, um, yeah. 
Darth Vader is torturing poor Leia with this weird looking sphere that's got like a needle attached to it. You don't really see him do anything, but Mm -hmm. he's, you know, asking her, where are the plans? Where did you send them? You know, where's this rebel? um, Where's the rebel base, right? Because there's a rebel base that they want to destroy because the idea of these, this rebel alliance is really starting to take hold and it's threatening, you know, the empire. Yeah. So yeah, the, the little uh, droid flies in to, you know, kind of torture this information out of Leia. It makes a really creepy sound and the door closes. So you're, you're left to use your own imagination as to what this thing does, but, but Leia holds strong and they end up taking her up onto the bridge. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin is there. Um, Like I'd said, he's sort of in charge of this, you know, in charge of the Death Star. And, you know, they're talking to her, trying to figure out where this rebel alliance is. They're there. They're say, okay, if you don't tell us where it is, we're just going to blow up Alderaan, which is where Princess Leia is from. That's where, you know, her family is and all of her, you know, constituents, I guess. Pretty much everybody um, that she's ever known her entire life. Yep. Yeah. yeah and, and she's saying, oh, you can't attack Alderaan. We're peaceful people. We don't have any weapons. Can't, can't defend ourselves. And they say, well, if you don't want us to blow up Alderaan, you'll tell us where the rebel, rebel base is. So she says it's on Dantooine and they say, okay, that's fine, but that's kind of far away. So we're going to blow up Alderaan anyways. Because right. uh, they basically just want to, I, they want to obviously get to the rebel base and take care of that. But they also just want to send a message to anywhere else in the galaxy that thinks they might think it's a good idea to stand up to the Empire. So uh, you'll see, you know, really great from Carrie Fisher, just, you know, looking terrified and distraught and upset as the, you know, the big beams on this Death Star uh, come together and shoot Alderaan and it explodes. The whole planet is gone just like that. It's like so. gone. Yeah. It, which is just amazing to me. I mean, the, the special effects again, it's, it's really cool. Um, and unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, um, you know, the Millennium Falcons just too late, right? They're um, mm-hmm. they kind of land, <laughs> you know, cause yeah. they you go, you go to light speed and then you stop, you slow down. Um, so they do that. They're slowed down and they're, they're really confused because there's a bunch of debris in the air and there is, they don't see Alderaan in front of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Han Solo's like, no, Alderaan's not there. I don't know what's going on. There's nothing there. There's just nothing there. What, what, what's happened? And um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is really distraught because he has felt it in the force that all mm-hmm. of these people um, are now dead. And it really has it had it had an impact on the universe, which is you know the the thing that kind of the force kind of permeates through. So he's like something is very wrong. And they um, what they do see is this thing that they think is like a little moon, and they're like, oh well, you know they're following this tie fighter, and this tie fighter is just kind of hanging out. And a mm-hmm. tie fighter is like this very small kind of um, craft that's heralded by one or two people, I think. And so they're wondering why this TIE fighter is just hanging out and there's nothing, there's, there's no older on here. There's nothing there. And he's like, well, maybe he's, he's headed towards this little moon. And then what does Obi-Wan say, Brian? Yeah. He says, uh, that's no moon and it's not a moon because it's the Death Star and that's where they're going. And unfortunately for the crew here of the Millennium Falcon, they are, uh, they've gotten a little too close to it and now they're caught in the tractor beam of the Death Star. So um, it starts to get pulled in and we'll see Darth Vader on board the Death Star 
you know, kind of, you know, tilts his head and says, that, you know, he senses a presence, you know, a presence that he's not felt in a long time. And uh, yeah, so what do you, what do you do? You're getting uh, sucked in by this uh, giant space station that just blew up Alderaan. So uh, you hide. That's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. So, so luckily Han Solo, a notorious smuggler, he's got some uh, smuggling compartments here built into the ship. You know, he never thought he'd be smuggling himself, but, but that's where you end up. So they get into these, uh, these little uh, holding pockets there on the Millennium Falcon and you know, are going to try to ride it out. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because the, there's a couple of stormtroopers who are kind of at the base of the Millennium Falcon mm-hmm. once they've searched it and they're like, no one's here. What's going on? Um, you know, Darth Vader's not having any of that. He's like, you know, continue to stay on point or whatever on guard. And uh, Luke and Han end up uh, taking the stormtroopers out and wearing their armor uh, and kind of walking around so that they can they can try and figure something out. Um, what they do decide is that Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, can use the force to uh, find this tractor beam uh, circuit in within the Death Star and use the force to release uh, the Millennium Falcon from the tractor beam so that the Millennium Falcon has a chance of escape. And so he has this really sweet moment with Luke where he says, you know, may the force be with you always. And he says, there's something I need to go do. I'm going to go do this tractor beam, but you all, you, you start to feel already that there's something else happening. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you realize later is he's basically saying goodbye to Luke, which is really sad. And, Mm-hmm. gives me all the feels um yeah he's but, so yeah so he decides he's gonna go and turn off the tracker beam but uh han and luke are in these stormtrooper costumes so they're gonna you know get off the ship and they kind of go to this little command center that's over kind of in the in this hangar bay kind of over there so uh they get chewbacca and they get r2d2 and c3po and they make their way over into this little command center and uh you know r2d2 is kind of taps into the computer system to you know see what's going on see if they can figure out how to get out of there or figure out what's going on with the space station and stuff and they find out that princess leia from the uh, little hollow video that r2 was carrying is on board the death star so luke says we have to go rescue the princess and han says i don't have to go rescue anyone what are you what are you talking about uh, but luke you know he says well i'll appeal to this guy well princess leia beautiful princess leia rich she can give you she can give you all sorts of money we go rescue her and so you know hans hans into money so uh decides that you know we could probably uh go and make this rescue so uh that's what they're going to do so the plan is uh they've got their stormtrooper disguises they're going to put some handcuffs on chewbacca and take them up to the prisoner level where princess leia is being held and that is exactly what they do. But Princess Leia takes one look at, I think, Luke. And it's like, you're, t- you're a little short to be a stormtrooper. Like, she doesn't buy it for a minute. <laughs> yeah. But she's not yeah. afraid. She's actually, like, talking smack at this guy, right? After being yeah. tortured and having her whole planet be destroyed. She's still yeah. fighting, which I love. Yeah, Princess Leia is amazing. She is very nonplussed about anything. <laughs> so you can't, you can't, you know, phase her. It doesn't matter what you try to do. She's always going to be the coolest customer. Uh, but the scene is great when they go to rescue him because they get up there and, you know, the stormtroopers and other people, 
you know, in this prison level, you know, aren't really buying the story. So they end up having to shoot up all of these guys. <laughs> they radio up there to see what's going on. And, you know, Han answers the call and he says, it's fine. Everything's fine here now. How are you? <laughs> and, and it's fantastic, but they get princess layout. But unfortunately, you know, the rest of the station basically now knows that <laughs> something's going on. So everyone's on their way to the prison level. So in order to escape, princess Leia shoots out this vent and they jump into it. Uh, but they end up in the trash compactor, which is which is not a good place to be. Not a good place to be. There's a lot of like old like plastic uh, tubing. There's a lot of like just dark looking rubbish, and there's water or battery acid. I mean, we don't know what is in there. It it just doesn't look like a good place to be. And uh, as as you said, Brian, it's it's a compactor. So what do compactors do? They they compact, yeah, and so. They- they compact, yeah. And so, like, there's this, there's also this swimming monster that like grabs Luke for a second, pulls him underwater. And of course, they're like, what do we do? And he just, like, nothing happens for a good 10 seconds. And you're pretty sure that Luke is going to drown. And then he gets, he shoots out of the water and he's like, oh, let me go. I don't know. And, and, and it's not in here anymore. It's not here anymore. And so yeah. <laughs> they're like, where did it go? And apparently it knows that the compactor's on a schedule. And so it leaves and goes out through some secret tunnel or something. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's it time because it doesn't want to get compacted. And so the compactor starts to compact the trash and it's a big room. It's like a, maybe a 20 by 30. It's a big room and it starts pretty quickly to like, you know, get smaller and smaller and they're trying to brace it with things. And then they're screaming. Um, Luke is screaming through his radio to R2 and to C3PO and they're wherever they are on the death star, trying to sort it out and turn off the mechanism to uh, for the trash compactor. So it'll stop compacting and it won't kill them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because C3PO and R2D2 got left behind in that little command center. Uh, you know, with the with little calm link, so you know Luke could give him a buzz, but some stormtroopers showed up, so C three PO had turned it off, which is pretty smart. Uh, but then, but then after the stormtroopers leave, R two is like, "Hey, <laughs> why haven't they called in?" And he said, "Oh yeah, turn that off." So uh, turns it back on, and you just hear you know uh, kind of Luke screaming into this comm link at him. Um, and R two gets it shut down, but C three PO thinks that they're dying just because they're they're laughing and so jubilant that this thing uh, got guys shut down but yeah i i really like the trash compactor i think when i was a kid that was probably my favorite scene of star wars uh i don't know just something about it was was really cool and an interesting kind of this prison break and out through there and saved saved by uh r2 saves the day again but totally yeah steven michael my son he's six and he loves it in fact we watched that scene maybe four times yesterday yeah see (laughs) he just kept going back to it (laughs) (laughs) that's right yeah it's smart kids so uh yeah yeah, so they so they get out of there uh they get themselves cleaned up a little bit and uh you know they need to figure out how to get back to the millennium falcon so they're kind of walking through this hallway but they run into some uh stormtroopers so princess leia and luke being the smart ones they they go one way uh han chases them off down another way (laughs) chases the uh, stormtroopers off down another hall before running into a whole battalion of these guys so um but yeah so they end up kind of running around and then you get one of the kind of iconic scenes of star wars and luke and leia end up at this kind of giant chasm that they have in the middle of this space station um and he has to use the utility belt there and uh, grappling hook and kind of swing across and 
she's going to give him a little kiss on the cheek for luck, which is, I think, what Luke was going for when he saw Princess Leia's uh, hologram. And <laughs> yeah, and that, it, that that doesn't get weird at all it, later. It, it ramps up as as you get into the end of the next one a little bit, maybe, but that's okay. The luck was good. They make it across the chasm and and get back. Uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca end up, you know, getting back to the Millennium Falcon, and they're they're kind of stand in the in the doorway. You know, there's a bunch of stormtroopers between them and the Millennium Falcons. So they're trying to figure out how they're going to, you know, make it to the ship. But then you see all of the stormtroopers kind of turn and go off. They just. <laughs> They abandon the Millennium Falcon, you know, and clears clears the path for our heroes to get over there. Um, but as they're, you know, making their way on board the ship, they see what drew the stormtroopers' attention away. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting that Obi Wan has done his job of removing uh, the tractor beam hold, mm-hmm. but he also is using the Force to find. Darth Vader and so they kind of meet in this big great hallway and um, it has been a long time since they've seen each other Uh, Obi-Wan and Kenobi finally kind of have this face off and uh, Vader says you know I I, I, you can't win you're very old Um, you've gotten old and you know Obi-Wan is very calm and mm-hmm. he is very forthright. He's got these piercing eyes and he just says, you know, you can strike me down and I'm going to, if you do, um, I'm going to become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And they, they kind of turn on their lightsabers, which again, I- I'm going to speak as if you've never seen this before. It's pretty incredible when you think about it, right? Because mm-hmm. there are these handles and they're beams of light that can burn things, can cut things. Um, And the way in which they have this sort of sword fight with these beams of light Mm -hmm. and the way that they sound when you're turning and hitting and striking, it's pretty epic and pretty amazing. And it's not, it's not like a Michael Bay production, not that there's anything wrong with Michael Bay, but it's not like a Michael Bay production where there's a bunch of flips and, you know, um, a, a lot of choreography, um, mm-hmm. it's just this really, really cool battle. Um, yep. and with the music, you know, ramping up and the score of the fight, it, it's just, it's very, um, riveting to watch. Yep. Yeah, it is. And you see Luke, you know, kind of, you know, everyone else gets on board the Millennium Falcon. He kind of stops to watch what's going on. He's looking on, you know, very helpless and very distraught almost and, as Obi-Wan, you know, realizes that, that Luke's there, that he is seeing him now, and he more or less sacrifices himself to Darth Vader. He wants he wants him to, you know, strike him down. And I think he wants, you know, kind of Luke to see that. And then um, as he does, you know, the crew of the Millennium Falcon there, the rest of the heroes, you know, they're kind of forced to get out of there, right? There's you can't save Obi-Wan. He's he's been cut down and they need to make their escape. So the tractor beams. Uh, been turned off so they get out of there but a couple of tie fighters you know go in pursuit of them so we get a pretty cool little space uh kind of fight scene there with between the millennium falcon and these couple of tie fighters they have these uh cool little uh i don't know they're little like uh cockpits almost where the the gun turrets are on the millennium falcon so they 
uh, Han Solo takes a gun and Luke takes a gun and you'll see kind of this this little space battle which is pretty cool and our heroes come out victorious and they get to the uh, actual rebel base uh, where you know Princess Leia knows where it's been this whole time and it's on Yavin 4 and we'll see him kind of pull into this uh, forested uh, base which is another one of, one of these amazing shots of the Millennium Falcon coming in and landing in this you know big lush forested planet yeah yeah it's really cool the way that they do this i mean and there's, there's a couple of things that's worth talking about so when obi-wan sacrifices himself his you know the the lightsaber hits his him and his cloak and he just kind of disappears and uh that really seems to shock darth vader um, he was not expecting uh him to just disappear and his life force to just go away um and luke is really distraught um he you know, after the big fight, he kind of is sitting in that um, kind of open, open area where they they had been playing chess. Um, mm-hmm. And Leia kind of comes and gives him a blanket, and he's like, "I can't believe this." And poor, you know, when you think about it, Luke, in, in in as little as like two, two maybe three days, he's lost his entire family that he knew. He lost the other father figure that he had. I mean, um, right. <laughs> he's had a really it's been very traumatic for him. Um, but yeah, they get to Yavin 4, which is really cool because um, I only realized this uh, uh, maybe five, ten years ago that even though Leia is faced with her whole planet being destroyed, she does not give the rebel base up. You think mm-hmm. she does when she says Dantooine, but it's not Dantooine at all. And so she was never going, uh, no matter what, she was never going to give up the name of, of the planet where the rebel base was, which was really, really cool. Yep. So they get there and of course Han gets his reward. I don't know what reward he ended up getting because her whole family and all of her riches died on this <laughs> planet of Alderaan, but that is neither here nor there. He gets something and he yeah. is ready to leave and there's this neat exchange between Han and Luke because Han is like, "Hey man, you know, you should come with us. You you're really good um on uh, you're pretty useful. You're good with a gun. You'll probably be a pretty good pilot someday. You know, there's a lot of banter about piloting between these two guys. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, he says, you should come with us. And Luke really has taken a complete opposite stance to his uncles and his uncle's upbringing. Right. He's like, how could you leave? We, you see what they're up against here. You can stay and you can help us fight. You know, there there's, they're going to find a, um, a weakness in the Death Star plans. We we can go do something. It's it, and he's like, man, you're on a suicide mission. I'm not doing that. Like, I'm yeah, take like, my money and get like, out of here. He's like, remember remember how that thing blew up Alderaan? Yeah, not a, not into that. So I, I'm getting out of here. But but yeah, Luke's going to stay on. He's uh, going to do his best to help attack the Death Star. So you get kind of all the pilots and all the you know, leaders of the Rebel Alliance. You get R2D2 there. He's uploading the schematics for the Death Star, and we find out that there is a little uh, weakness to the Death Star. There's a little uh, kind of thermal port, you know, pretty small, but if they get a, if they can get a torpedo fired, you know, right into this port, it's going to go in and blow up the main reactor and, and blow up the thing. You know, all the, all of the pilots seem to think that that's, that's pretty much a long shot, probably not going to happen, but you know, Luke's into it. Luke says, you know, he he can do it for sure. So, uh, you know, kind of everyone, everyone gets geared up and they get in their uh, X wings and Y wings and and take to the sky. You know, times of the essence. We see the the de- the Death Star coming into view. It has about I was like twenty minutes out, I think. So they need to get up there, and this is their one shot basically to uh, 
to get this thing taken out before it takes you know out out them the whole remainder of the rebel alliance so and there's a couple of things that are really amazing note to me in this in this kind of group of scenes. The costuming is absolutely incredible, right? So this was, you know, we went to the moon on July 20th, 1969. So this was less than 10 years later. They've mm-hmm. got these really interesting, you know, um, kind of flight suits and their helmets and you know, they're all not they're not all humans, right? So there's aliens that are flying. Um you know, you meet some of Luke's kind of old friends that mm-hmm. were on Tatooine and then they moved on and joined the uh, the Rebel Alliance. And so you get some understanding of, you know, that he has some piloting expertise and he's, you know, he's well-liked. But you also get some really, truly amazing shots of these X-Wing and where they where they are and how they fly into the death star because the death star is you know it's it's as big as the small moon so it's enormous and there's lots of crannies and nooks where you can fly into and shoot crap up and it's Mm -hmm. amazing it's just so cool and to think that they did this without like you know drawing it and uh in cgi and then kind of you know building it out that way it's just amazing this scene is truly truly uh epic to watch it's really great yeah to, yeah to think that they have this big space battle so you have all you know like you said all the x-wings you have all these tie fighters you have kind of the big trench in the surface of the death star and all the stuff's going on and to think that it was by and large all done with like models and you know filming them on a back screen and then compositing it all to, all together is just absolutely um insane and it's it's hard to think now we'll talk talk about it kind of here as we as we wrap up but to think about seeing this for the first time and you never would have seen anything like it before and yeah it's just it's just kind of mind-blowing but but yeah so they're 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 making their attack on the on the death star uh battle's not going not going great but you know they're making some runs they get a shot in at this uh thermal exhaust port but it doesn't quite land uh but you know luke finally gets down into the trench and and makes his way in and, you know, he's there, they're being pursued by a couple of TIE fighters, but he needs to get his uh, shot off. Um, but unfortunately for Luke, one of the TIE fighters that's in pursuit is Darth Vader. He's decided that, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to leave this up to chance. He's going to go and take out any of these X-Wings that are up there. So yeah, Darth Vader's pursuing uh, Luke, but luckily someone's going to come back to uh, save the day. Who is it going to be, Brian? It's going to be Han Solo to to everyone's surprise and no one's surprise. But you see the Millennium Falcon kind of swoop in and shoot uh, one of the TIE fighters and it crashes into the other one and makes uh, Darth Vader's TIE fighter kind of skip off, uh, you know, out in out of this uh, trench and get away from there. So Luke basically has a, a clear shot at the thermal exhaust port. So he's got his targeting system on. He's got it locked in. But... Don't don't trust the computer, Luke. Don't do it. That's right. Insane. So we, yeah. So we hear the uh, voice of Obi Wan Kenobi uh, coming in, you know, telling Luke to trust the Force. So that's what Luke does. He turns off his targeting computer, and you know <laughs> that relays that information apparently back to the uh, Rebel base, <laughs> and they're like, "Luke, what are you doing? <laughs> turn turn that turn that thing back on." Um, 
And it's important to know that my favorite character, R2-D2, did not come out unscathed in the battle. He's gotten shot by one of the, uh, you know, TIE fighters. So he's not there to uh, offer any assistance. So it's all up to Luke and all up to the Force. So he, uh, he takes a shot and torpedoes go right into the exhaust port. And victor- victory won. We see the right. Death, Star, Death Star blow up as we get the X-Wings and Y-Wings kind of flying away from it. And it looks pretty spectacular you know grandma tarkin was advised to uh evacuate he says i'm not going to evacuate in our moment of triumph um but the moment of triumph never came so yeah yeah we never we never see him again because he is now smithereenos that's right oh yeah it's pretty great um yeah so they they end up going back to uh yavin four and they come down and han uh, he's like, man, great shot. That was one in a million. It was really mm-hmm. good. Yep. Um, and so there's kind of this, you know, alliance of friendship built between Han and Luke. You know, Luke has now solidified himself as a really good pilot <laughs> yep. because he is the one that was able to make this happen. Um, it's it's really cool. Everybody's really happy. Um, again, yep. the, the music is really great. It becomes very... Um, uh, very triumphant the the score is is amazing and they kind of have this medal ceremony and princess leia is there and she gives these medals out to han and to luke and to chewbacca and um and well, you know well, and your favorite character oh. just just to han and luke chewbacca doesn't get his medal until uh episode nine of, oh, uh, darn it of star wars but that's okay, that's kept, okay he, sh- he should have gotten he should have gotten yeah. one he should have gotten one um that was weird that he wouldn't have um but then your favorite character r2 he gets fixed up he's, yeah, he's okay all, again he's he's all fixed up looking looking brand new so him and c3po are kind of kind of standing off on the side there they probably should have got medals too i don't i don't know if droids are eligible for medals or not droids but. are people too well droids are droids they should have gotten everybody everybody that did that should have gotten a uh yeah everyone uh, an award yeah everyone should have gotten a medal but yeah so they have the the medal ceremony um the music's fantastic and that's where that's where the story ends so the bad guys uh lost and the good guys won and you know this is a really good example of some classic uh, storytelling uh, and kind of this uh hero's journey quest kind of a thing and that's where that's where the the movie ends so uh Michaela what what do you think about Star Wars like you said we are we are both a little bit too young to have caught this in its actual kind of release window in 1977 so I myself I probably watched it the first time probably 1983 84 um I have an older brother who would have been into Star Wars so I likely would have just seen it you know on home video or you know tv showings of it at the time but what about what about you do you have kind of a a memory of seeing this for the first time or when you might have seen it for the first time if you had to use your best guess yeah so i don't think my dad was super into star wars um i too had an older brother but i don't think that star wars was his thing either so i don't i remember watching it as a teenager because I was dating a guy who was into Star Wars and I needed to know all the Star Wars stuff, right? Um, So I remember seeing it then and I remember that they, when they did the special releases. Yeah, the special editions. The special editions, they did put them out on the big screen. And so I Mm -hmm. made a point of going to see them then um, at the theater. 
And um, it was really uh, very cool seeing it on the big screen because I do remember one of my best friends telling me, who's, who's a bit older than I am, he that he saw it, you know, 10 times when it first came out and there was just nothing mm-hmm. like it. And that was really cool because you know, this is back even in the 90s, right? We didn't have smart TVs. We didn't have big screen TVs the way that we have them now where they're big and flat. Like if you had a big screen TV, it basically was the size of a, of a Volkswagen Mini, right? right. Um, and so they were really expensive and they were hard to get. So m- most people didn't have those. So now, um, so back then, like going to a theater and hearing the music and seeing the effects and seeing them on the big screen was just really an epic um experience Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because it's not that complicated of a story right i mean there's people that have said that this and the 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 story wizard of oz are actually basically the same story which i think is Mm -hmm. interesting it's not super complicated but because of the world and the reality that this film had created through its dedication to its special effects and sound editing and costumes and makeup and hair you know, it really just created this entire universe. Um, Mm -hmm. And nothing had ever done that before. I mean, nothing had ever done that before. When you think about in the past about some of the greatest movies of all time, they did that for their film, perhaps, but they did not do it for nine films to come. It didn't create the universe, uh, a universe in the same way. And because this is the first one to do that, I mean, mm-hmm. this this was right around the same time, I guess, Star Trek uh, took hold and that ha- has its own kind of epicness to it. But this was really amazing. Um, and even if you're not into the story or, you know, there's, there's a couple of people that are very proud that they don't like Star Wars or that they don't think it's great. There's still an appreciation that is due um, because it is really, there's so much of it that is super well done and had never been done before. And we yeah, still can't beat it. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, uh, it's a very simple story. It's a, kind of this very simple hero's quest, which is a, you know, kind of a story trope that exists you know, all over the world and all religions and all cultures. Um, so I think that that's why people are able to sort of identify with it very easily. And then just the world building um, and setting and things were kind of what, uh, you know, captured people's imaginations and attention. Uh, so like I said, we we unfortunately were, well, <laughs> unfortunately, fortunately, are not old enough to have uh, seen this when it released in the theater, but it was almost a thing where it wasn't did you see Star Wars? It was, did you, how many times did you see Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned earlier that it, it was released on May the 25th um, and it ended up, you know, taking home the Oscars. It's important to note that when the Oscars uh, were broadcast, whenever they would have been in 1978, you know, probably would have been, you know, February, April, something somewhere in, in that neighborhood. Star Wars was still playing. So <laughs> a year on, it was it was still in theaters. It was still going. So uh, that's that's amazing to think about, and uh, it was expected to be a tremendous flop. They had no faith that this was going to uh, make any money at all. It opened its first weekend, I think, on like like forty or forty five um, uh, movie screens, yep. and uh, yeah, so it wasn't expected to make a lot. Now, 
on those, uh, oh, I guess it was uh, 43 theaters. And it apparently that opening weekend made one and a half million dollars on 43 uh, screens, which is, which is pretty good to think about. So if you, if you want to put it in a little bit of context, just how kind of popular and how successful this was when at the time that this came out, I think that the kind of the highest grossing science fiction, science fiction film was Planet of the Apes, which made something like, uh, 30, like $33 million. Um, Star Wars grossed $775 million. (laughs) So, uh, it's, it's mind boggling to, to think about that. And this really kind of started off the summer blockbusters i mean you have jaws and then you have this yeah and kind of kind of set the the tone for what a, a summer blockbuster could do so it's just yeah it's it's just crazy to think about how big this little science fiction story ended up you know turning out to be so yeah yeah no it's uh real good as you would say it's real good um yeah and and it really uh, interesting the careers that it started right and the careers that we see on screen and the careers that we don't see right because mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is so amazing about this is that this was a cast of of hundreds and, and maybe even thousands um it becomes but it's not like um, fifty thousand cast members in Cleopatra where we all saw them because we recreated you know this big parade right and so mm-hmm. there were tons of people on screen this was people off screen doing all of the visual work to bring together this huge uh world that we see and um again you know one of the first times it was ever it was ever been done but this was a great platform for Harrison Ford um you know, uh, Carrie Fisher, you know, you know, Mark Hamill, they, they ha- ended up having, uh, you know, varied careers based mm-hmm. on their presence in this, um, this movie alone, James Earl Jones, who's just the voice of Darth Vader. I mean, he went on to do so many other things and his voice is so iconic. Um, right. I mean, it just, it, it really did. And George Lucas, he's done so many other things that, you know, really sprang from this this little movie that made a bunch of money and was really amazing. It's just it's just neat to see, and it's very nostalgic. I like watching it, um, and and make you know going back to kind of my roots uh, because there's so many now other films that have followed on to this, mm-hmm. and it and it really just started with a with a boy named Luke who's trying to get off a planet and uh, and a princess who you know wouldn't you know wouldn't give in to a, uh, to a dictator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it should come as no surprise to anyone. This is my favorite film of all time. So uh, yeah, it is exciting to uh, get to cover this one. Uh, now, what we want to know is if you, well, it, certainly, hopefully you've watched Star Wars. Um, if, if not, tell us, uh, tell us why you've not watched Star Wars, uh, but we're interested to know what your favorite of the Star Wars films are. Um, Mine is this one, episode four, but uh, definitely uh, all good picks. So let us know uh, which one is your favorite. And if you make blue milk for May the 4th um, or for a Star Wars party or anything like that, let us know that too, because we want to see everyone's uh, blue milk and what sort of cool Star Wars glassware you have and uh, things like that. Um, You can 
do that, you can tag us on Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. Uh, you can go to our website where we'll have pictures of our blue milk and the recipe and the link to sky talkers website. Um, all going to be on there and that's at www.drinkthemovies.com Michaela if anyone wants to leave us a podcast review where should they go do that you can find us on Apple Podcasts Spotify and anywhere Anchor Podcasts are distributed we'd appreciate if you subscribed and if you like what you hear leave us a five star review that's where you can do it because it really helps us get the drink the movies out there yeah absolutely well I think that uh, May the 4th is still upon us Uh, we watched episode 4 uh, so we still need to do five, six, one, two, three, Rogue One, seven, eight, nine, Solo. We'll probably watch through the Clone Wars, get ready for the Bad Batch that's starting on May the 4th. Uh, so there's just a, a lot of Star Wars we need to do and a lot more blue milk we should probably consume. Sounds like a plan. I've got plenty of extra blue food coloring. Let's make awesome. it happen. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to go mix up some of those. Thanks everyone for joining us and we will catch everyone next time on Drink Drink the the Movies. Oh, that was pretty good. May the force be with you. May the force be with you always.